Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Matt and Jack Sports Show, our Saturday de debate show, where we have on myself, Jack, and Dr. Paul as our guest host. We come to you every Saturday. Uh, we welcome you to our show, and we are live here on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch, starting off your day here at Northeast Streaming Sports. I, of course, uh, dabbled in sports all my life, playing and, and coaching, especially football. Jack is a legendary boxing writer with the New York Boxing Hall of Fame. And Dr. Paul Semendinger has uh, a blog called Start Spreading the News. Check it out if you get a chance. It's a well-written article. He's the founder and editor-in-chief over there. And he has his own show called Start Spreading the News on Monday nights. That talks Yankees baseball. And Jack comes on just before him on Monday nights with Glove Fist, a great boxing show. So good morning, everybody. How you doing? And uh, on our debate show, we do a lot of different, we cover a lot of different topics. In fact, all different topics in sports. But before we get to our debate questions and topics and, and discussion, I got something I want to throw at both of you. You know, is it? In baseball, the Yankees are the most historic franchise in history, probably the most historic winning franchise in the United States history. But is it really a, a spot that today's players are really itching to get to? And, and let me let me finish the thought here. You know, the Yankees were great. They're not really great anymore. They haven't been great for a while. And in football and basketball and, and, and even in hockey, right, there are legendary great teams that really don't do so well now. They might get to the playoffs once in a while. They might, you know, they might have a good team once in a while. But the success isn't as great. The Cowboys are a great example of that. The Steelers, another great example of that. They haven't won in a long time. Um, but does do these destinations, guys, that were once, I mean, people would would give up money to go there. For instance, Tom Brady with the Patriots, right? He, he would give up some of his money every year to play with the Patriots. Are players willing to do that today? The Yankees, as we know, during, during uh, free agency, haven't been able to pick up big free agents. They're not willing to sign for a lot of money. I don't know if that really is the reason, or I should say the whole reason for that right now. Is it, is it because they'd rather play for the Dodgers? The Braves just won the World Series. Would they rather play for that? So if you're a player today, Jack and, and, and Dr. Paul, the success of a franchise come into the, I mean, the recent success now of a franchise come into your decision on where you play. Is it just the money now? Mac, that is such a great question that you're asking because I actually thought of that. If I were, I've been a lifelong Yankee fan. You've been a lifelong Yankee fan. Doc is a phenomenal Yankee fan and aficionado, you know, whatever. I'm tongue-tied now, but Doc is amazing with this blog. Um, and if Doc, his Yankee cap on now, but if he were 21 years old and they was offered a couple of big contracts, I was offered it, you were offered it, and the money was so much greater to play elsewhere. I mean, I would go to the Pittsburgh Pirates. I hate to say it. It's lifetime security setting yourself up. The players have families. If everything is equal, of course, you want to go to the team you grew up rooting for that's historic. 
you want to win. But I think the contract, for the most part, trumps everything else. Unless you've made an amazing amount of money already, then it's less about the money. But I think the money rules at the end of the day. I, I And I hate to say it, but, uh, you know, but I, I can't. You add to it, guys. All right, so so I I think I think human nature is such that the money has always I don't think that's anything new always dictated where players go. I think the question is do players want to play for the Yankees today? I think they do. Um do the Yankees want to spend the necessary money to lure in the biggest free agents? And I just I think that that's a very clear answer. That's no. The Yankees were not in on any of those big uh signings. And in recent years, the Yankees haven't been in most of the big signings. Uh, Bryce Harper was a guy everybody in the world thought was going to go to the Yankees. He was perfect for the Yankees. And he was this modern-day Reggie Jackson. He was the guy the Yankees should have gotten. He was just the MVP, a big left-handed bat, uh, swagger. He would have added class. and well, maybe not class, but, but uh, um, uh, excitement and fun and, and joy to the Yankees. He would have given them a great element, and the Yankees didn't even offer him a contract. They they didn't want to go to twenty seven million or whatever it was for ten years. Uh, so I think I think what we're seeing the reason the Yankees aren't getting players is because they're they're not in on them. And I have a theory for that that I just wrote about. Uh, if, if we want to get into it real quick, but uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I all right. So if you look at the collective bargaining, one of the things that the lockout is all about, and it's not all about one of the things. One of the uh, issues is expanded playoffs and the owners are, are asking for, I think 14 teams. The players are saying 10 to 12 right now we have 10, but a couple of them are just that wild card, which is a one game thing. So you can pretty much assure it's going to be at least 12 teams because they're going to negotiate somewhere in there. And it might even be 14 teams. If you have 14 teams in the playoffs, you're going to see teams getting into the playoffs with 500 records you're going to see teams getting into the playoffs with under 500 records and i think the yankees see this writing on the wall and remember the yankees are always good they have the financial flexibility to always be a 500 team or better and they've been 500 every year since 1993 and i think the yankees made a very calculated and it's a frustrating decision for a yankee fan who wants them to get all the great players but i don't think it's a bad baseball decision where they said, we don't have to be great. We can just be very good. And if we're very good or even good or even average some years, a 500 team, we're going to get into the playoffs. And we know that when you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. So the old Yankee model was you want to have the best team. You want to win the division. You want to win the playoffs, the American League Championship Series. And then you want to go to the World Series. And you want to have these legendary great players I don't think that's their model anymore. I think their model is let's just be good enough. We don't need uh, um, <clears throat> Seager at shortstop for three hundred million. We don't need Correa at shortstop for three hundred million. We could get somebody else for twenty million over two years, like ten million a year, and we could be very competitive because we have the other pieces. And I think what they're going to do is they're going to say on any given year, oh my goodness, we don't have any great starting pitching. This is the year we go big for Garrett Cole. So they have the financial wherewithal to do that. But otherwise, I think they're just going to say we're going to be a pretty good team, a plus 500 team. We're going to get in the playoffs. And in the playoffs, anything can happen. And once anything happens, 
we're going to win some of those World Series. We're not going to have a dynasty, but even the great teams in a format like that, where anything can happen in a short series, even the great teams aren't going to be great. And I think that's why the Yankees aren't playing big anymore. Doc, I'm going to disagree with you slightly. Okay, the Bryce Harper situation. The Phillies signed him to a 13-year contract. 13-year contract, $330 million. Now, if the Yankees signed him for 10 years, $33 million a year, that wouldn't have been outrageous. Okay, so that would have covered the 330 straight out. But keep this in mind. Bryce Harper's performances had been slipping with the Washington Nationals. And guess what? The year Bryce Harper left to go to the Phillies, the Nationals won the World Series without him, without him, okay? So they didn't need Bryce Harper to win. Okay? No, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not debating that with you. I, I'm, I'm saying he was the perfect guy for the Yankees, and the Yankees decided they didn't want him. He, he's, he's a young superstar who is 27 years old, I think, or 26 at the time, and entering his prime, and he was the type of guy that the Yankees of old would have been all over. And they made the decision. I wish they had signed him right now, seeing the way he performed, you know, how he's performed for the Phillies. I wish they'd signed him. Also, the free agent period isn't over. There's some appealing players out there. I mean, I like Chris Bryan a lot. Sign him for third baseman, play Yashella at shortstop until Bope uh, Pedraza, you know, one of their minor league prospects is ready. And by that point, they can move DJ LeMayo to first base, Gleyber Torres at second base. They could be all set. They could sign Freddie Freeman. Maybe they go with Trevor Story at shortstop. I mean, guys are out there still. Right. I mean, it's about. I don't, I don't disagree with that either. Corey Seager, for example, would have been, brought a smile to our face, but he, a 10 year contract. Are you kidding? 32 and a half million a year. I think the big test for the Yankees isn't the free agents that are out there. It's the free agent to be next year, Aaron Judge. If they somehow let him go, there's going to be real trouble in Yankee land. I think, you know, we said before this free agent period, and we were on the same page, address the situation, make him the best possible offer. And if he's not going to take it, you can't play around, trade him somewhere. Then if you want to resign him a year from now, bid against the other teams, you do it, but uh, well, good, good, good. Good morning, to Carlos. We're kind of going off the subject a lot. We're going down and we're talking about. But, but the answer to you, Mac, but I think I, money rules. Well, well I, 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 I agree. Money, money well, rules. Let me. Let me but I. But I think the Yankees are. Let made me a give decision. you an example. Let me give you an example where I don't. Tampa Bay got all their players back from the Super Bowl the year, right? All these players, a lot of those players, could have went on and signed big contracts, and they came back to Tampa Bay because they wanted to win another Super Bowl. So there, it's a little different than what you guys are talking about. And I'll tell you something else. I'll tell you something else. Equal value. Success is, I think, is always going to win. If you have right now, if there's a player, I'll give you an example, right? Mets sign Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer, the, the Dodgers had too many pitchers. That is ba basically all about the money. I agree with that. Yeah. But if, if, the Dodgers were to, the Dodgers didn't have a qualifying offer. If the Dodgers put a qualifying offer on the board for Scherzer, there's no doubt in my mind he would have stayed because he knows with the Dodgers, he's going, they have a better chance than the Mets to go to the World Series. And I really believe, even with the younger players and some circumstances, 
if I have a chance right now to go play for the Braves, who won a World Series, or I got a chance to go play with the Pittsburgh Pirates for a little bit more money, I might hedge towards I might hedge towards the Atlanta Braves. Well, let me let me let me throw this at you, Johnny Damon. Uh, Johnny Damon, for a time, was one of the most iconic players, you could arguably in Red Sox history, because he, he was a key guy breaking the curse of the Bambino, the big home run in the seventh game against the playoffs in the Yankees in 2004. And But he signed with the Yankees a couple of years later. The Red Sox offered him four years, a total of $40 million, $10 million a year, the Yankees gave him the same four-year contract, but for $52 million, uh, $13 million a year. That's an extra $12 million. And the Red Sox fans would boot Johnny Damon when he came back. He took it very person personal to the point where late in his career, the Red Sox tried to get him back. He had a no trade, and he refused to go back there. That's how insulted he was. And he said, look, the extra $12 million paid for my house free and clear. That was his logic. That was his cold logic. I got a big, big house for free by, by signing with the Yankees, okay? And how do you knock him for that? I mean, that's his choice. There's, there's only two players I know in history, uh, baseball, that I know in, in, in these last, and I could be wrong, there could be many more, but there's only two guys I know who actually uh, in in the last 30 years or so said, I'm going to sign for less money to play with the team that I want to play on than to sign with more money. Paul O'Neill did that, but that's a similar situation to the Tampa Bay team where the Yankees were great. He had made his reputation and his greatness as a Yankee. And he said, I'm, when he became a free agent that last time, he said, I'm going to take less to stay with the Yankees. But part of that was probably because they were winning. If the Yankees were in last place, I'm sure he wouldn't have done that. Right. And I know Ken Griffey Jr. took less to go home to play in Cincinnati. Right. But besides that, I don't think I, 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 even Bernie Williams, Bernie was ready to leave the Yankees. He was going to sign with the Red Sox. Bernie Williams, a beloved Yankee. Um, and then he made one last call to Steinbrenner. He said, you got up your offer. I'm out of here. And then Steinbrenner gave him more money and he came back. He wasn't he wasn't going to stay with the Yankees just because they were the Yankees. You mentioned Cincinnati. There's one player that always slips under the radar, uh, Joey Votto. Joey oh, okay. got a lot of money on the free agent market, and he never went free agent. He always signs contracts. I don't know what he's getting, but I'm sure Cincinnati's not breaking the bank for him because he seems to be very comfortable with that one team, you know, his whole career. Listen, Albert Pujols, a, a St. Louis Cardinal icon, but the and the St. Louis, after they won the World Series, Pujols was a free agent. They offered him a nine-year contract but the Angels offered him a 10-year contract because the Cardinals wouldn't go one extra year. He leaves and he goes to the Angels. To me, you know, I mean, that's his choice. But if I'm the Cardinals, I don't necessarily welcome him back with open arms in the future because he's played a lot of years not with the Cardinals during his career. So to me, I don't put him anywhere close to a Stan Musial as a St. Louis Cardinal icon. But had he spent his whole career with the Cardinals, I would have put him on a museum level. Even Andy Pettit left the Yankees, right? Three years. But yeah, Andy but he left. Pettit, wait, wait, wait. I give him a waiver. You want to know why? He went to Houston where he lives. There's a difference involved. If you live exactly in that town, 
it's a lot different. So I, I think so, the I think the Astros also also offered him more money than the Yankees did. Yeah, the Yankees could have signed him. The Yankees hemmed, they hard, they took their time. They thought he might have an elbow issue, and he kept waiting for a contract offer. And the Yankees came in too late. And I'm scared that they're doing this with Aaron Judge too. Well, uh, well, well, let's 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 kind of sum sum it up, right? There have been players that have stayed. Uh, on teams in all sports. And like I said, I'm not just talking about baseball and the Yankees. I'm talking about all sports where, where they have taken less money. And I think that, I think what happens with the older players is that they, some of them already have their legacy, right? Johnny Damon leaves Boston where he's an icon, but he's not, you know, he's not going to the Seattle Mariners. He's going to the New York Yankees, which is a very historically great team too. And they, at that time they were, knocking on the door of the World Series. So it's not like he took more money from, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Kansas City Royals. He took a little bit more money for the Yankees, but to be assured that he's still going to be up there battling uh, for a World Series. So I think being that they were the Yankees at that time and winning organization did have a little bit of uh, influence on them too. And I think a lot of players' feelings get hurt when they're, they don't get offered because they played so hard for our team and they were part of that winning tradition, then all of a sudden somebody like Andy Pettit or Bernie Williams, as you guys pointed out, says, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm I'm part of this winning culture as much as any other player, and you're telling me, well, I'm not worth what some of the other players are making. So I think a lot of personal feelings go into it. I think Jack's right where they lived. I think that's very important, too. They can go home or go to a place where the uh, taxes may be cheaper, the weather may be better. But I still think success has something to do with it. I think teams get better and bigger because of their success. The Braves are going to be better next year, guys. They should be a better team next year. And I think that any free agents are going to take that in consideration. Hey, they were World Series champions as opposed to going to, say, you know, one of the smaller market teams that really aren't don't have a shot. You know, some people want the money. Maybe the younger players are a little different than the older players. And maybe there's something to do with, you know, being personally offended playing for organizations so long. Well, if, if we if we just go but, look at the Yankees of the 70s, right? And you just look at uh, a couple of Yankee icons from the 70s, uh, an MVP and a Cy Young Award winner. Sparky Lyle was all bent out of shape because the Yankees signed Goose Gossage, which was the yeah. smart move. Gossage was like 28. Lyle was like 32. Um, but, you know, uh, he felt that George was disrespecting him. And if you ever read what the Bronx zoo, he always talks about how he was disrespected. This wasn't right. And I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm saying, but that was the perception. And he says, you know, if you're not going to play me or pay me, I I don't want to be here. And Thurman Munson felt that he had a deal that he was always going to be the highest paid Yankee. And even if you look at the, the, the clips of Bill White, it's either after the 77 World Series or the 78 World Series. I think it's 77. The Yankees are celebrating in the locker room, and Bill White says to Thurman Munson, are you going to be a Yankee next year? Because Munson kept saying, you know, I was disrespected because you didn't pay me enough. I'm just going to go play in Cleveland. Now, again, Jack's saying that's his home, and it is his home. Mm-hmm. But he wouldn't have been saying that, I suspect, if when Reggie got his contract, Steinbrenner called Munson in and said, by the way, I did promise you you'd be the highest paid Yankee. I'm going to match what I gave Reggie and I'm going to give it to you. I'm sure at that point, almost sure, because I can't get into Thurman Munson's mind. Uh, 
But he would have then said, okay, I'll, I'll sign for five more years as long as I'm not being disrespected. So two Yankee icons, I think, were very willing and able, and, and one of them did leave. He was traded, but he demanded it uh, because of money. Yeah, you know, uh, you, going to a winning culture, that's the key thing, too, if you're going to leave your comfort zone. Uh, just let me defer Alan Houston, the basketball player. He's thought of as a New York Nick but he lived in the Detroit area and he played for the Detroit Pistons who drafted him. And then when he became a free agent, the Pistons were taking their time signing him and he kind of felt disrespected. So he left his hometown to play for the Knicks. Would he have left his hometown to play for a small market team that wasn't winning, even though they were giving him more money? You know, you never know, but I think you both make good points. And Mac, when you mentioned, well, even in the case of Johnny Damon, but he went to play for the New York Yankees. What happens if it was the Baltimore Orioles who were, you know, had a losing culture at the time? I don't know what their culture was at that time, but let's say it was a losing culture. Would Johnny Damon just have taken more money but went to a depressing situation? You know? I don't think so. We don't I know. Don't so. I don't think so. He might. I doubt it. I Let's put it this way. I'm 90% sure he wouldn't have. Well, Tom Brady takes cuts all the time. Less well, than that's, that's wife, different. His but wife yes. reportedly makes more money than he does. So that you know, makes and, it a little easier. And with good reason, Jack. So, folks, as, as I promise you, we do every week. Let's see if I can bring her up here. Anything you can do, I can do better. So, folks, every Saturday, we have been on since, I don't know, even before we got on this show, we've been debating every Saturday, me and Jack and Doc has been great enough to come over and join a debate from a guest status to a co-host. And the first debate is pretty interesting. We all know Carlos Correa is out there in a free agent market, a market, one of the best shortstops in the league easily and one of the one of the teams that needs a shortstop is the new york yankees and korea came out and said that you know really Derek jeter didn't deserve to be a gold glove winner right uh, uh, jeter has five golden gloves people are surprised at that when i bring that up i even asked some of the experts not mentioning doc or ej by by name but even when i bring up they're still shocked he had five and and Derek jeter does have five golden gloves now, Korea said he doesn't deserve to be a gold glove winner. And uh, we're going to debate that for sure. I, I don't think he wants to play for the Yankees. I'll be a free agent for the Yankees, that's for sure. But, Jack, what do you got to say about that? You know, first off, Carlos Korea is entitled to his opinion. But why mention it? And even if you ask, there's a way to get around it without being blunt. And especially, you're right, Mac. If he had any hope of playing for the New York Yankees, you're not getting off to a good start and it's a remark that's always going to hang over your head to say something like that but there you know I think of all the great players in major league history how many of them have highlight moments that you can remember specifically I mean take someone like the great Willie Mays we remember the over the shoulder catch in the World Series but how many highlight moments do we remember Yankee Clipper Joe DiMaggio, how many highlight moments, as great as these players are, it's hard to remember highlight moments. With Derek Jeter, 
I remember more highlight moments of him than any other player I've ever seen. I mean, there's the, there's the Mr. November home run against Arizona, maybe because it happened in November, World Series, it was appealing. There was the 3,000 hit, a home run. That was so dramatic, the way he got his 3,000 hit. His last at-bat at Yankee Stadium, the walk-off hit, we remember that. Three hits, but out of the five highlight moments, there were two defensive plays. Uh, there was the flip play in Oakland. If I told, if I took a poll, if we took a poll, what was the greatest defensive play by a shortstop in baseball history? The greatest single play. Guess what? The flip play probably wins. It probably wins as the greatest play in baseball history. If I said what shortstop made the greatest effort in baseball history and a ball hit. We talk about Jeter diving into the stands, running at top speed, giving up his body. Two highlight moments defensively. I can't think of any other shortstop in baseball history where I could remember that. If we had to talk about a signature play that a guy has a patented move, Derek Jeter's leap throw, we, you know, that should be copyrighted. It's classic. It's entertaining. And it was effective, too. Now, listen, Derek, G the problem with Derek Jeter for a good part of his career, and I hate to go to A-Rod because it's overplayed, was A-Rod because A-Rod was a little better defensively. A-Rod had a great arm. Jeter had an adequate arm. There's a difference involved, okay? And Jeter was an... On pop-ups, though, there's never been a shortstop who's been better with the ball in the air than Derek Jeter, okay? Maybe guys are better turning the double play, going in the hole, throwing someone out, you know, but no shortstop has ever been better on a pop-up with the ball in the air. I trust Derek Jeter when a ball is popped in the air more than any other shortstop in baseball history. There's no one I trust more to get the ball once it's hit in the air. Did he deserve, the question is, did he deserve any of his five golden gloves? If the question was he didn't deserve all five golden gloves, I'd agree. He definitely didn't deserve the last one. You know, he was in his contract year. You know, he slumped with the bat. He was, at best, he was okay, but not golden glove caliber, okay? But, the, you know, and I, I have a hard time remembering breaking it down year to year, whether he deserved it for a particular year. But I know Derek Jeter, at his best, was a good defensive shortstop. You could say good to pretty good defensive shortstop all around. And, yeah, I mean, he definitely deserved to win a Golden Glove Award at some point, maybe two, maybe three. He got five. No, I don't feel he deserved all five, but Carlos Correa said he didn't deserve any, but I think Derek Jeter certainly did deserve a couple in there. Well, well let's first start with what you said. You said that Dieter, Jared Jeter had, Jeter had more probably highlights than any shortstop. I mean, talk about his bat. Of course, we're not talking about his bat. That's a totally different, totally different debate. Fielding, yeah, he did go into the, into the, the stands, and yes, that flip was unbelievable. It really was. But you can't you can't fault the players in the past because 
either the, the they weren't on TV all the time or they weren't in the World Series every year like Derek Jeter was. So I mean, that's a little, you know, that's a little heavy favorite towards Jeter there. Going in the hole, that that spin throw was was out of sight. Uh, as I said, the flip was was heads up and smart. But again, does that go to fielding percentage? And it doesn't really. I mean, he he caught the ball and you know going on a high pop and into the stands, and he made that flip, which really is in the fielding percentage. That's just a great baseball player. That's what Derek Jeter was a great baseball player. Period. Three thousand hits and all that stuff. But we're not talking about hitting. He's probably the top five hitting shortstop of all time if i looked up the the thing correctly and i just know that just by knowing watching baseball for a long time he is one of the greatest hitting shortstops in the history of baseball he was a good fielder i mean i looked up some of the stats his first year he wasn't even in the top 30 uh that he got uh the gold glove last year he was 15th overall um if you look up in history where he rates bucky dent believe it or not is a better fielder percentage for rodriguez by a long a long shot. Carlos Correa, way, way better fielding percentage than Derek Jeter. So if you want to break it down by each year, I didn't go and look at every year. I looked at the first and the last. Double play, believe it or not, would would uh, with uh, with Cano, he's top ten. So then that that doubles there was in fact is higher than Correa and Altuve. So that has something to do with fielding. I don't know if Derek. Jeter deserved five or he deserved one. I don't even know if that really matters. The guy was a tremendous shortstop playing for a great team, made a lot of clutch great plays. I I, I think I don't even think it's really that big of a discussion. I think Correa does that because he likes attention. And to to draw attention to Jeter like that is just crazy to me if you want to even have a chance of playing for the Yankees. I don't think Korea did it to draw attention to oh, I, I think do. he meant I think he meant what he said, but he should have been thinking it was a needless remark to make. Well then why then why opinion. would you say it? Why would you even say it? I think I Korea think that, speaks his mind, but sometimes yeah. you know it's not such a good thing to speak your mind. Well let me tell you, Jack, there's times and places to speak your mind. When you're on the open market and you're trying to be trying to sign with a team. That is just drawing attention to yourself. He could have said that anytime. But anyway, I think Derek Jeter was a great shortstop. How's that? I didn't even think he was good. I think he was great. I think he was a shortstop we needed at the right time. He made unbelievable plays for us that won games. So as any award, it's overrated, right? All I know is the man was a great shortstop on a great team, made great plays, and whether he deserved being a Golden Glove, if you look up stats, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it's a little bit about popularity, too, like every other award is, right? But let me tell you, great shortstop. I'm glad we had him. I would take him over Carlos Correa any day of the week at his prime, and that's all I care about. What do you think, Doc? Yeah, I, I, I pretty much agree with both of you on, on everything you're saying. Now, just a couple thoughts for Carlos Correa. It's a bad look when you have to try to build yourself up by – Bill, uh, chopping somebody else down. All, all that does is make you look foolish and it's humiliating. For you to say that about a guy who's an iconic baseball player like Derek Jeter is just foolish. It's just dumb. It's just a ridiculous thing to say. He doesn't deserve any of his five gold gloves. It just reeks of jealousy and it just, it's a bad look and it, and it makes, makes you look small. So Correa, I, I thought Jeter, by the way, handled the whole thing great. Uh, reporters went up to him and they're like, did you hear what Carlos Correa said? He said, no, what did he say? Like, no. Yeah, all right, who cares what he says? 
Like, because he's like, I'm the better in his head. I'm the better player. I've got all the rings. I'm in the Hall of Fame. You know, let's see Carlos Correa get everybody but one person to vote for him for the Hall of Fame. Let's see Carlos Correa get the 3,000 hits and, and be a, a legend in New York. And he won't be. Um, secondly, the gold glove. It's supposed to be the award given to the best fielder at his position in a given year. But we know that that's not what the award's given for. It's it's given as a sometimes as a token for a great player. And Jeter's a great player. Um, there have been a million years when the gold glove was not given to the best player at a defensive position in a given year. In fact, a guy like Greg Nettles lost out on a number of gold gloves because Brooks Robinson was in the league. And Nettles might have been better on any given year or some of those given years. But Brooks was the legend. And so Brooks just got the gold glove. Who gets it this year? Brooks. Oh, that's right. Yeah, give it to Brooks. Um, so your reputation also plays a role in whether or not you get a gold glove or not. Uh, Jeter, as 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 Jack and, and Mac were mentioning, was an iconic, iconic player who had iconic plays, made some signature baseball players. And one one that we're forgetting about, I'm I'm off memory. Wasn't Jeter the relay? thrower on a ball hit down the line in the 2000 world series might've been game one or two. And he made that unbelievable throw home, I think to get Jose Vizcaino and, and without Jeter being again in the right spot at the right moment, the Yankees might lose that ball game. So he had a million of those moments. Max, correct. Like we don't remember DiMaggio's great moments because they weren't on film. The one we remember most about DiMaggio, I think is when he flies out to Algie and Frito, uh, Right. And, and, and uh, he makes that 100 catch by the ball pattern or whatever. Right. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, Jeter, absolutely positively. And he did something also because he, he was a leader on the field. He helped lead the team defensively. If people are going to look up, one of the great big things that started a lot of this uh, sabermetric stat stuff is people started saying that Jeter's a bad shortstop. And the defensive numbers say that, especially as, as his career went on, he was a negative defensive war fielder. Okay, you know what? The Yankees were still winning World Series and going to World Series, and he was the leader on the field. And he did – sometimes players do things that can't be measured uh, statistically. By and large, I try to shy away from that. But when it comes to an award like the Gold Glove, no. I mean, it's it's not the best fielder. It's the guy who, in many senses, is the best shortstop who can also field pretty well. And I just pulled up 2005 just because you want to say he wasn't the best fielder. Jeter's fielding percentage in 2005 was 979. Now, I know that's not the only thing you look at, but that was his fielding percentage. You have to go down the list of, of guys if you go by games. He played the third most amount of games at shortstop that, that year. He played 157. Only two guys played more games. Their fielding percentages were worse. And to go down the list to find somebody who had a higher fielding percentage, you'd have to find Orlando Cabrera, who had 988. But Orlando Cabrera played in only 140 games. So among players who played in the most amount of games in uh, 2005, Derek Jeter had the highest fielding percentage. So to say, there's a statistic, good, bad, or indifferent, but he played every day. The other guys who played every day, most of them didn't, didn't uh, have a better fielding percentage than him. So there, yeah, there. Statistically, he deserved it at least once. Let me tell you who got a raw deal with Golden Glove Awards. I mean, uh, the guy, you know, who played in, before Jeter for the Yankees and coached when Jeter was there, Willie Randolph. 
great defensive second baseman, never won a Golden Glove award because of Frank White and Lou Same Winnicott. argument. Yep. You can argue he was as good as those guys. No one was better turning the double play than Willie Randolph. I mean, I can argue should he have gotten a Golden Glove award at somewhere along the line. And I can't point to specific years, but my gut feeling is there had to have been one year where Willie Randolph was at least as good as those guys, one given year. Because I know Willie Randolph was an exceptional fielder. From 19, you're right, from 1977 through 1982, Frank White won the gold glove every single year at second base in the American League. Now, was he the best fielding second baseman every year? That and that, no, it's just impossible. He wasn't. We could dive into the numbers. I won't. But that was. It's an award where they go, oh, second base. Well, Frank White. And so he got it every year. There you go. And the guys voting, especially at that time where they didn't study analytics as much, they hardly saw the other guys play. They just going to gut feeling. They do it on reputation. They'd see the ballot and they would recognize the name a little more and think, well, you can't go wrong if you check off Frank White. You know, I haven't heard anything negative. He won it last year. And it kind of snowballs. That's that's very possible. You know, the, you got the human element in there, of course, from people like pe- other people better than some people. But listen, I, I to me, was it's an insignificant statement by made by a person who just likes the limelight. I don't know. You, you, they say he speaks his mind. To me, you can speak your mind all you want, but you don't have to put it in front of a camera and put it out there uh, for everybody to hear. But notice see. there hasn't been a follow-up. People haven't been coming to Korea afterwards and asking. He's going to have to answer those questions at some point. And imagine the Yankees do sign him. How is he going to handle that going forward? Of course, he's going to say, well, it was taken out of context and this and that. But I'm sure he regrets making the remark because he doesn't need the hassle that it could bring him going forward. Two thoughts there. don't like that hassle. Go ahead, Doc. He's not going to be a Yankee. I I absolutely would be shocked. But here's here's your definition of the Gold Glove Award. I, I just got it here. Rafael Palmeiro in 1999 won the American League Gold Glove for first base. He played 28 games at first base. He was a DH 128 games. He played 28 games at first base. He won the Gold Glove. Why did he win the Gold Glove? Because he had won it the previous two years. There you go. So there you go, folks. Hey, there's a lot of questions about Hall of Fame voting and all kinds of voting uh, out there. So anyway, let's let's push on to the next topic. Jack brings up an interesting uh, thought here with uh, Scherzer signing with the Mets. And I believe Scherzer play, pitched for the Mets before. If I'm not mistaken, I'm almost positive he did. But anyway, you've got one of the greatest pitchers of all time in Jason, Jacob DeGrom. And now you got one of the greatest pitchers of all time, Max Scherzer, on the same team. So Jack proposed this question. So who's the ace of the Mets staff now? And I know the the easy answer is Jacob DeGrom, but I'm going to take the other side on it, all right, because that's what I do. So just looking up the stats as ERAs, DeGrom every year is is unbelievable. Max Scherzer some years is unbelievable, some years eh, it's a little bit average, right? And I just went off the last five years. But if you talk about wins and losses, and the starting pitcher has something to do with that, folks. And I know there's a lot to it, right? Some pitchers go seven innings, 
they have the lead or they got it tied. The relief pitcher comes in, gives up a run, doesn't get no fan, uh, run support from the offense. I get all those arguments. But if we look at last year, just last year alone, Max Scherzer was 7-0 and when he went to the Dodgers. He's 15-4 overall. His ERA was like 0.90. Let me Something close to that. I got all the notes over here. Dodgers, 198, and he was seven and zero. And when he and when he part time with his, his previous team, he won there too. So I mean, I, I I how can you move out Jason Degrom unless he's hurt, which he is, has been hurt quite a bit. Max Scherzer looks like he's a little bit. He's been in the league a little bit longer. Hasn't been hurt as much as Jacob Degrom has been in his short time in the league. So. I, I mean, what what is an ace? An ace is a guy that you could depend on to stop the other team from winning. To give you know, when you're in a three game slide, you have your ace goes out and he stops that. Jacob Degrom really, with his winning record, hasn't really done that recently, has he? Max Scherzer, on the other hand, has. So, of course, the easy answer is Jacob Degrom, but I'm just saying, guys. Max Scherzer is more of an acts more like a ace. His record is more like an ace, and for what he's pitched recently, has been more of an ace than Jacob Degrom has been. So, if you want a guy that's going to go out there for seven innings and maybe give up one run or two runs, but doesn't stop the team from sliding, and I don't know how it translates to the team's offense and into the bullpen, which the Mets have had not the greatest bullpen in the world. Or is a, is a is a is an ace a person that goes out there and wins the game for you? Make sure that the game is won. Maybe the team rallies around him better than another pitcher. I don't know. Mets is a funny team to try to figure out the last few years. So I could make the argument that Max Scherzer could be the ace of that staff this year. What do you think, Doc? Oh, I thought you were going to go to Jack next. All right. So nice. I think. I, the question, the way I read it is, who's the ace? The ace being the guy who pitches on opening day. If you're the Mets, if they're both healthy, it has to be Jacob DeGrom because he's the longtime Met, and he's a great, 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 great pitcher. But the idea of who's the ace uh, going forward, I, I don't think it matters. I think you have two great pitchers, and they're both going to be great as long as they're both healthy, and they're going to – help lead the Mets, they should, to a division, uh, to a division title. I don't think anybody's going to have a one-two punch, assuming they're healthy, as great as Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. That's just like, that's Hall of Fame quality there. Two guys back-to-back. So which one do you want to call the ace? I I don't think it matters. You know, in the early 50s, the Yankees had uh, Allie Reynolds and Vic Ratchie and uh, uh, Eddie Lopat, right? I guess Allie Reynolds was the ace, but did it matter? They were all great. And they, they carried the Yankees to five consecutive world championships. When in, in the late seventies was Gidry the ace or, or was it catfish hundred? Did it matter? I mean, Gidry became a better pitcher, but did it matter who you call the ace? They were both great, especially like uh, in 77, they're both at basically still pretty much getting to the top of the game or barely hanging on to the top, top of the game. But you would have called Hunter the ace, actually, because he was the longtime veteran and Gidry was probably better. But, like, who cares? Like, they're, they're both great pitchers on the staff. So, to me, it doesn't matter who you call the ace. They're both important pitchers, and they're both going to be important pitchers for the Mets as long as they're healthy. You know, and before Jack goes, Pickles brings up a great point. 
How about that? Oh, the Braves. The Braves. Yeah, the the Braves, Braves yeah. I mean, God, what three pitchers that were unbelievable. Interview. All in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, who was ace of that? I, I don't know. Good. Uh, by the way, with Tom Glavin and Smoltz and Maddox, Greg Maddox would have been given the nod as the ace of push came to shove. Listen, sometimes a team has two aces, but it's clear one is better than the other. Roger Clemens was better than Mike Mussina. Mussina could have been an ace on other staffs. Don Drysdale could have been an ace on just about any staff, but he had Sandy Kovac. So there's a disparity DeGram and Schertz are at their best. There's very little to choose between them. But uh, there are feelings involved there. And as opening day, how do you think Jacob DeGram would feel if he's healthy, raring to go, and Max Schertz gets the nod as the opening day starter? That You know, he's going to say the right things to the media, but it's going to bother him without question, Okay. On the other hand, Max Scherzer would understand Jacob DeGrom has been there a long time. He's new. He'll defer to him. But And, and the reality of the, there's the business side of it, too. That's the reality of it. At the end of next season, Jacob DeGrom is going to be able to opt out of his contract. He has three years left, but he has an opt-out after next year, which if he, if he has a good year, He's definitely going to opt out. The Mets kind of want to keep him happy. They don't want to insult him. He's, he seems like an easygoing guy who doesn't get ticked off too easy. The same thing with Max Scherzer. So you think they're going to get along. My feeling isn't saying Jacob DeGram is the ace of that staff or should be the ace of that staff. Let's say the Mets get into the playoffs. They're playing the best four out of seven. They're each going to get two starts. But one of them might get a third star that might have enough rest to pitch in long relief. Out of the two of them, the bottom line is this. Push comes to shove. Who would you trust a little more on the mound? I trust Max Schertz a heck of a lot, a heck of a lot. But Jacob DeGrom, the way he was last year, the way he's been a couple of years, he's close to being invincible. He's the Mo Rivera starters if push comes to shove. Okay, so it's very close. It might be like splitting hairs. But Jacob DeGrom is the champ until you take the title away from him. You have to kind of look at it from that perspective. So I don't think it's that hard of an argument. And I'm sure even Max Scherzer would agree. But if Jacob DeGrom should stumble just a little bit, just a little, and Max Scherz is at the top of his game, I think Jacob DeGrom would even understand that Max Scherz could, you know, replace him as the number one guy. And look, Max Scherz is the highest paid player in baseball history, you know, which is kind of odd. And, and being a number two on the staff, that's, that's an oddity. Let me ask you a crazy question, uh, and, and I don't want an answer. I just wanted to throw it out there. I just wanted to sit because I think we're coming up on a breaks in a moment anyway. But I didn't realize Jacob DeGrom can opt out of his contract at the end of the 2022 season, this coming season. All right. So let's, I just want to, just want to lay, lay, lay this out there for the, for, for everybody to ponder. Let's say we talked about this a lot. Aaron judge, the Yankees make him a great offer, whatever it is, who cares? And he says, I don't want it. I'm going to be a free agent. And the Mets go up to Jacob DeGrom and they say, here's a great offer, whatever it is, who cares? And he says, no, I'm going to opt out. I don't care what you do. 
you, while the Yankees and the Mets still have both guys, and if you knew they both were opting out and going to be going to be free agents at the end of the year, would you trade Jacob DeGrom for Aaron Judge? No answer. Just a question. What a thing to think about. <laughs> ah, that's great. Well, since Stock insisted that we go to commercial, uh, we'll do that right <laughs> now. Uh, and another thought I want to ask you, suppose the Yankees did get Scherzer. We got Derek Cole there, who's the – you know, has been the established pitcher there. Doc said the ground, not Scherzer, but we'll take him too. It doesn't matter. Well, what, what I'm just saying, suppose Scherzer ended up on the Yankees and with Derek Cole. I mean, would you say Scherzer is now the ace of the pen, of, 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 of the starting staff, if Cole has been your ace? You no, know, that's a think? great question. And maybe the answer would be yes in that case. Yeah, that's I think Scherzer. Would yeah, I would give him the little nod over Garrett Cole. I because Cole's only been a Yankee would. two years. He doesn't have the right. What didn't come through the system like Degrom and and all. No, yeah, Degrom's right. been a better pitcher than Cole for the last how many years too? Yeah, Cole has been very good, you know, but Degrom has been off the charts. There's a difference. We'll be right back after this, folks. You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. Let your aching head and stomach hear this message from Old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Those Speedy bubbles relieve your upset stomach and headache fast. For acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer gold. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. My baloney has a first name, it's O-S-C-A-R. My baloney has a second name, it's M-A-Y-E-R. Oh, I love to eat it every day, and if you ask me why I'll say, cause Oscar Mayer has a way with B-O-L-O-G-N-A. Oscar Mayer, the first name in Bologna. How's that? Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma? This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family, and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you, too. Okay, how about tasting the stew and telling me what you think? Mm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. 
It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people. If you talk and they will hear you. Oh, no. Every single time. Now we're getting killed. Yeah, well, Carl's not here. How come? Kicked off the team. Didn't Tim tell you? Kyle's mother kids got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. He's zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Come on, it's the first offense, right? That we know of. But why should that matter? He knew not to drink. I've made it clear to Matt that that's what we expect from him. What have you said to Tim? Um, nothing really. You know, a lot of kids try it at this age, so... I... Yeah, well, a lot of kids don't try it, too. I'm not saying that Matt's going to be this perfect kid, but if I don't tell him what we expect and why he shouldn't drink, how's he going to know? You think kids that age really listen? <laughs> they never admit it, Bill, but they hear more than you think. Talk. They hear you. For more information about talking with kids about underage drinking, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show. I'm your host, Mac, your co-host, Jack Hirsch, and your guest co-host, Dr. Paul Semending, on our debate show. We're on live 8 to 10 mornings for you, uh, Thursday through Sunday. Tomorrow is our big debate show. I mean, big debate show. We're doing a big debate show, Mac. What the hell are you talking about? Uh, the big football show, where we have two-time Super Bowl champion Jim Jeffcoat joining us as a co-host. We have your Patriots preview, your Jets preview, your Eagles preview, and we also have guest Robert Butler on from Sportscope. Goes over a lot of sports commentary and news with us. It's a great show, folks. Tune in tomorrow uh, to get your NFL started off first. There, Carlos having a lot of fun with us today, uh, telling us to bring back Ichiro because he still can play. Maybe he'd be better center fielder than Hicks. Who knows? I don't know. And the Yankees thinking there's a there was a rumor they were thinking of bringing back Tanaka. Okay, yeah. but then he decided to stay with his Japanese team. Yeah, Tanaka said he didn't want to play with us anymore. He took his toys and went home. He's done. So, uh, so we a couple thoughts. You know, uh, Doc left you with uh, one of the thoughts, and I left you with another comment. And so, Doc, you, you, you left that you left that comment out there for us. What do, what do you think about that? Oh, I didn't. I, I'd have to really think that through. Um, you know, they both, it, as you as you break it down, just off, off the cuff here, you know, they're both great. They're both uh, icons in New York City. They're both icons for their franchises, at least current icons. They're both the guy that if you're playing and you're going to win a world championship, part of it is you want to win it for Judge or you want to win it for DeGrom. They've, they've been there. You know, they deserve it, if you will. 
Um, but they're both guys who have this unfilled potential uh, because they're hurt all the time. And, and they've had great years, but then they follow them up by years that are disappointing because they're just not on the field. And, and you're a great player. You're only a great player if you're playing. You're not a great player if you're in the, on the DL or the IL. So, I, I mean, it really becomes a fascinating, a fascinating question. Uh, I'm not sure how old Jacob deGrom is. If he's younger, um, that that might help tilt the tilt the needle toward him. Would you take deGrom or Judge? Um, I think about 30 comes to deGrom. I think he's about he's close to Judge's age. Yeah, they're about the same age. All right. So so who's going to age better? Nobody knows how Judge is going to age because he's such a big guy and 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 uh, big giant outfielders. There isn't a big long history of, of guys like Judge. Um, staying unless healthy and, and Dave, playing. Unless you're, so, unless you're Dave Winfield. Unless you're yes, Dave well, Winfield. Winfield's a, yeah, Winfield's one. Uh, so what a great question. I think it really comes down to, you know, we're going to ask the question later, does the media determine if you make decisions or not? Uh, I have a I have a thought on that that we'll talk, to, uh, talk about later. But whew, I think the fan base, would the fan base accept Aaron Judge traded for Jacob DeGrom straight up, or would the Mets fans accept DeGrom for Judge? I think I think eventually you would get used to it. So it really comes down to who do you think is going to age better and what position do you need more? What's what's easier to get, no, a top pitcher down, or an outfielder? So Doc, it comes down to if they can sign the guy. If the Yankees can't sign Aaron Judge, but they can sign DeGrom. That's a good point. Accepted by Yankee fans and vice versa. But if neither team signs either guy, I mean, what's the sense in it unless you're doing it strictly from a baseball perspective? Which I can't see any team, either team pulling a trigger on that. But with Steve Cohn, he has such deep pockets. He is so unpredictable. I mean, he might figure, let me make this deal and I'm going to sign both guys and I'm going to sign DeGrom. You know, when he's a free agent, I'm going to get him back. I mean, Steve Cohn is the one owner who could be so independent because of all the money, $14 billion. He could figure, I can lose a billion dollars, you know, to improve my team only only thing i got to say that is three words pitching 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 that's all mm. i got to say that's all i got to say well that so, used to be when i was a kid we used to argue who would you rather have willie mays or sandy kovacs that always a similar type of argument yeah or an everyday player like that i i always i always i always defer to pitching when it comes to two great players and uh i mean that guy can make all the catches he wants. If the bat, if the if the pitcher stops them from hitting, it don't matter how good your fielders are. So um, that's what I always. I think great pitchers are harder to find than than great outfielders. You're right. I agree. Yeah, but if someone sat you down and they were 22 years old, Roger Clemens or Ken Griffey Jr., it wouldn't be a snap decision by any means. It would but for Mike me. Trout. If they offered you Mike Trout or Roger Clemens, and you think I could have Mike Trout for his whole career. I, well, well you're, like, you're changing. Now you're changing the argument. You said for his whole, yeah, that my whole career. Yeah, let's say he did. They're going to be with you the next ten years. Uh, or let's say they said difficult. Mo Rivera the next ten years, as opposed to an, you know, the best everyday player out there. I mean, it's, you know, mm. not an easy decision. Not at all. So we're going to lighten it up a little bit, folks. About what is the most uh, fun sport to participate in. Jack goes first with this one. And 
and it wasn't specified whether it was recreational or professional or if it was organized or not organized. So we're just throwing it out there. So, Jack, what do you got? I didn't specify age. My fault on that because that has a definite bearing on what sport someone's going to be. If someone's 82 years old, I mean, shuffleboard might be the, you know, sport of choice or maybe a, a slow-paced game of ping pong or whatever, you know? So it, it depends. I remember when I was a phys ed major, the one, you know, we covered each sport because you had to, you know, cover them to become a phys ed teacher. One sport I absolutely loved in class was soccer. I just loved soccer because there was enough movement, but you didn't have to move all the time. You could catch your breaks if you wanted to. And it just seems so much fun being out there in the open field, moving around. Now, there's a lot to be said about other sports. I know people have softball leagues, but if you're a position player, you know, you could just be standing around, especially in the outfield. Basketball, unless you're pretty good in it, you know, it's kind of intense. You're constantly moving every moment. And maybe I'm thinking too much of myself. Okay. I don't think the basketball is necessar necessarily good for the average person, especially you're a young adult. That's that injury factor. You cut the wrong way. You'll go down. You could hurt your knee, Achilles, the quick cuts, the movements, uh, swimming. Yeah. I mean, that's good. And all these are good. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm sure my sport wouldn't be voted in, but I think for a young person, if there were leagues formed, even, you know, young adults, even middle-aged adults, you see them from other countries, they love playing soccer. A lot of middle-aged adults who live outside the United States were born there from other countries who now live in the United States. You see them playing soccer on a regular basis. I mean, there's golf. But golf is, I mean, it's enjoyable. I you know, I lose this debate, guys. I lose this debate. I got to admit, the towels coming, being thrown in because there's no easy answer. I was thinking from what I liked as a yes. young person, let's say you were 20, 21 years old. It's the most enjoyable sport you you know, once you teach someone how to play soccer, you know, actual participation. But Carlos seems to agree with me to a point. Yeah, soccer, soccer okay. that, Carlos said dodgeball, too. That was fun. Hitting Do oh, dodgeball could be brutal. I mean, it I... Was fun. Uh, yeah, they you, are it in the schools. You can't, you can't talk. You can't talk to Jack about that. Jack's our safety monitor. I play dodge. No, I played a lot of dodgeball. I love dodgeball. I'd like <laughs> to see a dodgeball league with some of these professional athletes who can really fire the ball at tremendous speeds. But, but the guys on the other end are so athletic, they're not likely to get hurt because they could defend themselves, you know, make catches. Well, well, Jack would come up for the face mask for dodgeball just so you don't get hurt too bad. So, um, listen, Good idea, actually. Thank Good you. Idea. Thank you. Thank you. So soccer is, is at the bottom of the list for me. That's the most boring game ever invented in the history of sports to me so there's no fun in soccer you run up and down the the, the field and you barely get a goal and then oh my god it's ridiculous a lot of work for nothing so you said fun i'm gonna tell you a sport that i had a fun in and i love to participate in anytime it is professional and it is recreational too and and you could play this sport in your backyard 
You can play it on the court. You can play it at the beach. And it's got to be volleyball, man. I mean, how much fun is it to play volleyball? It doesn't matter how tall you are, how, how athletic you are to a point. Your age is not a big concern. The gender is not a concern. I mean, you could just go out there. As long as you can tap the ball up in the air and somebody else can put it over the net, or if you can put it over the net, it's just fun. I mean, you you just break. You go to an outing somewhere, a family outing, and and nine times out of ten, a volleyball game breaks out. And if you're at the beach, you know what? What's more fun than than having a bunch of beautiful young ladies join you in a game of volleyball where you could just have fun? You know, maybe have a little bit of of, of cocktails on the side and just have a good time, man. You, you work up a sweat, right? You have a good time. You, you meet new friends. I mean, if you're like I said, if you're a family outing, you're playing against your uncle, one that you love, one that you hate, and you want to spike it at him. It's this is a fun game, man. I mean, I love playing volleyball, whether it's official or non-official. I love watching the colleges and the high schools playing. It's very competitive. They're unbelievable how athletic these people can be. But you can do that at the beach. You can do that anywhere. So just to have fun. I mean, unless. Unless you're with an older group of people, like an older group of Italians that are in my family, they love to play bocce ball. That's one of their fun. I mean, nobody else can play. When the older guys get out to play, everybody get off the court. It's their court. It's bocce ball time. So they're they're all into that. But if, it, if I just wanted to play a game just to have fun anywhere, at any time, except for maybe in the snow, and that might even be fun too, I get up the volleyball net, get a volleyball, get 10 people, and we can have a lot of fun. It can be competitive. It can be just for fun. And I love playing volleyball and and just just messing around. What do you think, Doc? All right. So one sport I always wanted to be able to play really well, and I never did, but it's very fun to play, is tennis. Tennis is a fun game. And I will agree with Jack that soccer is a fun game to play. Um, obviously, if we're asking what I love to do, I, I run marathons, and so I love to run. Um, but if it's the most fun and, – and, Jack is right that if you play baseball or softball and you're playing right field, you're standing around for inning after inning. It's really not fun, especially if you can't hit. Then you get up and you strike out and you sit on the bench until waiting for the next eight guys to bat. Or if it's a recreation league and they have a rule where everybody bats, you could have a team of 18 guys. You get up two twice in a game if you're batting at the bottom of the order. So there's a lot of things about baseball or softball that can be very boring. But if you're asking me what sport I like to play, it's baseball. I'm a pitcher. I get to control the game. I'm in every play. And there's, you know, it's, it's what's today, December the uh, the 4th. Fourth. I'm, yeah. I'm sad because my baseball season's been over for two months and I'm in this limbo time right now. I'm not ready to start pitching yet because I'm giving my arm a couple months off, but I cannot wait to start throwing these things. This is the most fun in the history of the world. Jim Bouton said it at the end of his book. He says, you know, we spent our whole life gripping a baseball, but in the end, it's the baseball that's gripping us. This little baseball has gripped me for 53 years. It's going to grip me for 53 more. I hope I'm still playing baseball when I'm 80 uh, or 90 or 110. There's nothing more fun to me than playing baseball. Well, you look at these old timers games, and I'll admit they're embarrassing to watch in a sense. These once great athletes, they hit a fly ball to them. It's always dropping in. They can hardly go after the ball. Maybe because they don't keep fit, okay, the way that they should. Uh, 
But it's individual choice. Take a Michael Jordan. Obviously, he loved playing basketball, his chosen profession. But whenever he'd have a little off time, he'd be out on the golf course because it was fun. That's simple. So, you know, it all depends. And it's age-related, too. You know, someone in their 60s, what are the chances of them, you know, continuing to play basketball, just going out to the courts? So golf, you could play till any age, realistically. So I think it's kind of like age-related. I mean, how many 18-, 19-year-olds do we see taking up golf? They kind of take it up a little later. You know, at that point, when they're young, they have all this energy to burn, so they want to play basketball or something that has a lot of movement with it. But uh, it's a debate that I'm I'm losing. I'm just thinking myself, if I could go back and be 25 years old again and I have a Sunday afternoon and I have to go out and play a sport. Actually, I like to just go out for a run on my own. That's me in my preference, but the, but that might not be – but that's not – so much fun to go out to jog or run. It's not that much fun. You know, I, I like it, but I really had a lot, a lot of fun in college playing soccer. I mean, I, I couldn't wait for that soccer class to begin. I And when it got canceled and the professor had to be out, I remember how disappointed I was because I, I, I really had a good time. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I guess it, it, a lot of people look to the individual – you know what they like. I think golf is is more of a social thing than it is when you got these guys getting older. They hang out with their friends and they go out there and they try to do a better score. Running is a lonely sport. I mean, listen. I mean, you know, I mean, you've, got, you've got to be dedicated. I think that's a lot of work. You it's know, to have, to have fun. I guess is when you're done. Maybe you feel more accomplished because it is a it is a, a competition against yourself. Really, if you think about it. And, and golf really isn't a sport. It's more of a skill. Um, and, and bowling. Soccer, bowling. Yeah, bowling is more, it's more of a yeah. skill than a sport. You're, comp- you're competing against yourself, really, not against anybody else. There's nobody, again, trying to stop you from hitting a golf ball or bowl or trying to tackle you when you're going for a jog. So there's really no defense to that. And, and softball is fun. I played softball for a lot of years. I played flag football for a lot of years. More a recreational thing. But it does get very competitive, right? So, I mean, even in recreational leagues, they're competitive as heck. And I guess, you know, when you get together with your families, a lot of people play softball too, or they may, you know, they may play horseshoes, which is a skill or any of those other sports or or competitions. But I'm telling you right now, Doc, if you want to stay in shape and not throw out your arm, volleyball is a fun thing to do. I mean, I don't know. Does volleyball keep you in shape? I mean, listen, I uh, I think so. You're you're standing around, you get up, you spike, but most people don't have the agility to get up there and truly spike. I don't think it's something that keeps you in such great shape, but it's fun. You see a lot of people look, people in their own homes, they put in pool tables. Okay. So that's their way of having fun, shooting a game of pool or playing a little ping pong and tennis is, you know, people of all ages participate in tennis. So you can think of that. I mean, uh, yeah. It's true. It's very true. Very true. Pool is more of a, a person. I played pool for a long time. Pool is more of a personal thing, too. It's one against another. There's defense involved in it. Uh, ping pong can be fun at any age. You're right. Um, like I said, a lot of it is about recreation. It's a lot about meeting friends or spending time with friends and 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 enjoying yourself, whether you're good at it or bad at it or, 
or whatever. So fun, I think fun is the key word in there, right? Fun is the key word. That's why I eliminate running completely because I do it out of obligation at times because I want to keep in shape. I'm going out later to work out. You know, I might not be in the mood. I got to drive my daughter and grandchildren back to the airport today. I got to go food shopping, but I'm going to sneak in my run at some point. I'm going to sneak it in. But I I could do without it today, but I realized <laughs> it's doing me good and I have to force myself to do it. And Doc, you know, you have a lot of days you don't feel like going out there running. You just don't feel like doing it, but you know you have to do it to maintain your goal. It becomes, an, at times you enjoy it a lot, but at times it becomes an obligation. Sometimes I think to myself, guys, if I could snap my finger and get the full benefits of all these exercises you do on your own, would I just snap my finger? The answer would be no, because there's some enjoyment in doing it. There's a great feeling of satisfaction sure. in sure. doing it. But, uh, yeah. Again, the key word in that whole debate was fun. Fun. You know, fun. Yeah, fun. Yeah, that's I think, it. I think, I think you're talking more about gratification when you're talking about running. Um, I know Doc loves baseball to death. <laughs> You know, yeah. I did. That. I played. I played. I played baseball, or I should say, competed in baseball for ten years, and I know the draw of that too. And I did pitch also, so I do know the feeling. And now Jack played baseball for quite a long time too. So, but anyway, fun. I don't know. Sometimes I didn't feel like going to baseball practice either. You know what I mean? Or football practice, or any of that stuff. But I always, if there's a volleyball net and a group of people, if I want to have some fun, yeah, I always, I always love to enjoy. It. A good game of volleyball, whether it's first for serious. Well, you know what it is. If someone called you today, uh, let's say you had an off day, you had nothing in particular doing, and they asked you to join them for something, would you want to do it? If Doc called me, for example, and said, "Do I want to be part of a softball game?" I I wouldn't look forward to it. I wouldn't <laughs> want to be standing in the outfield waiting for my two three at bats during the game. It wouldn't be appealing. I got better things to do. No offense, Doc. I mean, the time but with you would be nice, but the game itself. If you ask me, Mac, to play volleyball on the beach with your friends, no thanks. Yes, okay? I just don't want to. We're not. We're not talking about being invited, right? I mean, suppose you <laughs> yes. were you were hanging out with Doc at his house because Doc would definitely invite you over. I want to go to a ball game with Doc and well, watch the well, game. Listen, I listen. Go to you, I want you guys to come to one of my games. Come, come to a game one Sunday morning when I'm okay. pitching. We'll work on that. Well, oh, I mean, then I think, why not go to the real thing? Why not go to Yankee Stadium? It is the real thing. Okay. Yeah, it is the fact. Well, you, know, you know, what I'm saying, Jack, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is not just, you know, would you go if somebody invited you? I mean, if you were there and then about 12 people said, and you were at that uh, Doc's house and he had a bunch of people over and they said, hey, we're going to go play some softball. Would you go? Or if the volleyball net went up and said, hey, let's play some volleyball, would you do it? The answer is probably yes, if I know you. It's probably yes. I, I would probably play, but would I be so enthusiastic about it, say, oh, this is good stuff, you know? <laughs> I I don't think so. I mean, I, yeah, I would tag along. I would yeah. take part in it. Yeah. And I uh, look at my watch and think when the game is going to end and when I'm getting well, that's why. That's why you got to play, because if you're sitting there watching it, it's definitely boring. But, um, but if Doc asked me to go out for a jog, I would be more enthusiastic. Hey, what the heck? You know, let's go out for a little jog, and I'd feel good about it. And when we'd be done, 
I would feel like, wow, I really accomplished something. Right. Now, if you really enjoy the activity, you feel you accomplished something. And you did because it added to the quality of your day. So it means a lot. It's very important. But if you're kind of just going along with the crowd, you might not, you know, you like the camaraderie, but you that's don't feel a sense of accomplishment that's, the same well, way. That's, that's fun. Go ahead, Doc. Jack. One thing I, I, Mac and I definitely want to do is we want to go to a fight with you. That There would be nothing more fun than that. And speaking, I've never boxed, but, you know, as a big guy, Rocky fan, and someone who's always enjoyed the sport of boxing, watching it, it's one of those things that I'm too old now. But, but I always thought that would be fun to do, to get in a ring like you did and actually fight. And, and as I've gotten older, I've realized that I think the fun in boxing would be like – to be winning and to be actually punching. I don't think any, there would be any fun in getting hit. So <laughs> I was, I was going to suggest that when, when Jack brought up you two running together, I was going to say, why don't you two put on a pair of gloves? Oh, he'd for, win. He'd, for they, have that. they have this white collar boxing. I absolutely hate it. Guys <laughs> are in the ring who have no business being in the ring. And I realize guys haven't been getting hurt. They try to manage it as safely as they can. But, you know, the after effects, you get in there, you have get some head snapping blows. And even though you're okay, they send you home. You, fight, you feel you're fine after. Who knows how you're going to be years down the oh, line. I mean, it's... Stop, Jack. Stop being scared of everything. Put on some Jack, head Jack would hurt me. If we went in the ring... I don't think so. Doc, I don't think so. You fought Vito. Listen, at this stage, you get that headgear on, Doc. Get the headgear on. And we'll set when you up. Jack, Jack, get a boxing club. We got to set this up. Jack, get a, get, a, get a sparring session. Get your helmets together. You know, put your mouth guards in. Dress in padding if you want. I mean, put on a, put on a bulletproof ch uh, chest. Uh, armor if you have to i would now, love i would pay to see that <laughs> when pay. you're older you can't take contact the same way i know it happens uh like i was jogging you know a couple of years ago and i tripped over one of these cracks on the sidewalk and i went down not hard landed on my hands but the jolt shakes you up i tripped over my dog once walking him and i go down <laughs> And Doc, I don't beat the 10 count. I'm like stunned, you know, but when you're younger, you bounce right up. But when you're older, you know, you just don't have. The All right. Same so, so, Doc, so Doc's, the, Doc's the odds on favorite with that confession by Jack. If it ever did happen, I'm taking Doc as, as the underdog from Jack's experience. I think well, Doc I will win by default automatically. No moss. No moss. Jack will stay on the bed on the, on the stool. Well, yeah, yeah. That, that, would, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Just to watch that for 30 But I get my revenge if I got in a softball game. If they let me pitch, I'd throw it, Doc. It's so <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. Hey, folks, we're going to take our last break for the day. We still got some stuff to debate. And continue on our nonsense here this morning, which is a lot of fun sometimes, too. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with some a little promos and, and we'll talk some more. we got a couple other subjects to get to, uh, uh, you know, about sports. And let me check my list here, Jack. And I, I know you probably got it right in front of you, too. But we're going to talk about the media's influence on professional uh, sports, the changes that they do make. And... Do NFL teams stay too long when they draft somebody high? 
and that player isn't performing as well as you thought or, or should, do the team stay with that player too long? Pretty interesting stuff we're going to talk about when we get back. So, folks, stick with us. And, again, we'll be right back after these messages. job is done. This guy will be ready to dig into something mighty good to eat. Now how do you handle a hungry man? The man handlers. One of the man handlers is Campbell's vegetable beef. Gets a man-sized supper off to a good hot start. Mmm, good. The man handlers. If you talk and they will hear you. Oh, no. Every single time. Now we're getting killed. Yeah, well, Kyle's not here. How come? Kicked off the team. Didn't Tim tell you? Kyle's mother kids got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Come on, it's a first offense, right? That we know of. But why should that matter? He knew not to drink. I've made it clear to Matt that's what we expect from him. What have you said to Tim? Um... Nothing really. You know, a lot of kids try it at this age, so. I... Yeah, well, a lot of kids don't try it too. I'm not saying that Matt's gonna be this perfect kid, but if I don't tell him what we expect and why he shouldn't drink, how's he gonna know? You think kids that age really listen? <laughs> they never admit it, Bill, but they hear more than you think. Talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with kids about underage drinking, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. <laughs> Schaefer, the one beer to have when you're having more than one? One reason is more than one fermentation. Most brewers just ferment their beer once, but Schaefer is fermented twice. Once to make it beer, and twice to make it Schaefer. The one beer with flavor so fine, it keeps shining through glass after frosty glass. More than one fermentation is one reason, but of course there's more than one reason behind the one beer to have when you're having more than one. When you hear the word asthma, you probably think of shortness of breath, coughing, or inhalers. Lots of things can trigger asthma, but the fact is that asthma doesn't just attack, it can kill. But with proper medical management, asthma is controllable. If you experience shortness of breath, wheezing, tightness in your chest, or persistent nighttime coughing, you may have asthma. See your doctor and get the facts. You'll breathe easier. For more information, call 211 info line. A message from the Connecticut Department of Public Health, keeping Connecticut healthy. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on live Thursday through Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. You've joined our debate show uh, where we've been debating a lot of things, talking a lot of silly stuff, which is always fun during the debates. And uh, we caught Jack just rushing back. I love catching him when he's rushing back. Now, normally I I do uh, 
I do take that in consideration and hold off a little bit, but I pressed the button too quick on you, Jack. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, the, I mean, uh, I got like a quick count here. I mean, I yeah, thought yeah. I feel like a fighter who slipped and you as a ref called it a knockdown. <laughs> I know. I saw the knee. Yeah, we are going to go to boxing match, guys. I'll try to work on it 2022. Yeah, that'll All be right, fun. Yeah, in yeah. Fact, in fact, we have to get the logistics because you guys are from different. We're like all different areas, so we got to tie it in where the best place is. Pickles came MSG. up with an event. Got it might not. Oh, some of the events. It depends the promotional group, and you know, you guys would be getting in as media, but I'm not sure, Doc. You with media, you're a baseball guy, you know. I but you'd have to do it. something on boxing before the fight on your blog. Tie it in. Great Actually, there's a there's an online boxing magazine, the and then we can get it done. There's an online boxing magazine I wrote for a few times. Oh, okay, cool. Then you're set. Then you're set. Well, there you go. Yeah. Look at that. Doc, get Doc. We'll get it done. We'll get it bringing done. Us, bringing us some last minute news we didn't even know about. Doc, look at that. He wrote for a boxing magazine. Wow. Yeah. What? What? Yeah. That's cool. I'd have stuff. to. I'd have What's to pull up next? that. I'm, I forget the name of it. It came out two years ago. It's an online thing, and I wrote it. I wrote a couple articles on Rocky, and I wrote an article on uh, um, Marvelous Marvin Hagler. And my first article was cool. on what they need to do to fix the sport, which is stuff we've talked about: oh, make it nice, more accessible nice, to people, nice have the stuff. fights less less late. I could I could find all that and, and send it to That's you. That's not no nice stuff. Yeah, Look yeah. Back. Surprise! More than you, more than you, Mac. I mean, now I got to worry about you. They ain't gonna worry about me at all. You know what? You know my presence is known throughout the boxing world right now, Jack. Of all the stuff we've done, so um, you know, I mean, I listen. I'm personal friends with Joe Smith Jr., the light heavyweight champion of the world. I mean, we even had him on the show. So uh, and Joe DeGuardi and all the great boxing, uh, great boxing analysts and writers. I mean, you know, I'm I'm known a little bit. That's we'll go to a we'll all go to a Joe DeGuardia show, but with it, it, Joe actually Joe Smith is fighting at the Turning Stone Casino, uh, the middle of January. So you see that? There you go. Let's so, go. There it is. Line us up. Line us up with Joe Smith Jr. I'm there. I want to be in his corner too, Jack. I want to be there. <laughs> I want to pump him up. I want special privileges. So, so folks, let's let's do a little a couple promotions before we get back to our topics. As you know, tomorrow is the big football show. We start off your NFL day before the big networks with Jim Jeff Cove, Dallas Cowboy legend. We have all the previews of local teams. We got a lot of sports. We break down all the games. Join us for that. It's a very popular show. Uh, we're up there on, on all channels, big without the other big shows that are there. And it's because of you guys. And we do have a lot of information on Monday. Jack does a show with Frank Lotirzo. They're both very knowledgeable boxing uh, analysts, as you know. They're both uh, experts in the boxing field. Both of them have boxed previously. They've both written for boxing. They both always uh, have commented on boxing. Jack, of course, being the uh, and the Boxing Writers uh, uh, the, the Association of America. He was the head honcho, the president there. And Frank has been involved on the media side of boxing almost all his life. So, I mean... If you want to see a, a great boxing show. If you like the sweet science, get ready to talk boxing on the Gloved Fist podcast with top boxing writers Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. Frank, a former amateur boxer out of Philadelphia, writes for NY Fights and can be seen on the Boxing Channel. Jack, an amateur boxer who competed in the New York Golden Gloves, was a six-term president of the Boxing Writers Association. And now, here's... 
It just might be the greatest sports franchise in the history of sports. A place where legends are made, and there's always something to talk about. Get ready to immerse yourself in pinstripes. Start spreading the news, hosted by Paul Semendinger and E.J. Fagan. A couple of doctors with a prescription for Yankee fever. And now... There you go. That's Doc's show. They're both on Monday night. Jack and Frank with Glove Fist starts off at 7 p.m. Eastern. Doc follows up with starts spreading the news with his co-host, E.J. Fagan, who also does uh, Bronx Beat podcast. Uh, also very knowledgeable Yankee uh, writer and podcaster. Uh, listen, these guys know everything there is to know about the Yankees from the farm system to history to anything they analyze coming up with the Yankees. Two great shows. Uh, check them out. So it's a great uh, show, but Doc, with the lockout, is it going to be harder to do the show if news isn't coming in? All right. So, so just a couple things. The the boxing magazine's called the Pugilist. Uh, it came cool. it came out like two years ago, and and I've, I've I think I've appeared in it three or four or five times. Oh, um, cool. you have more uh, credentials than probably some of these other guys that that get in on the media right off the bat. <laughs> uh. So I just have an article on my blog on the on Start Spreading the News, the Yankee blog. Typically, what we do is we put out four articles a day. We put out one at six, one at ten, mm-hmm. both in the morning, obviously. Then one at four and four, uh, one and one o'clock in the afternoon, and four o'clock in the afternoon. And I just put a post up this morning that said I'm going to cut it back to th- only three articles a day on most days, just because I think it's going to become very hard for us to maintain uh, the. Um, the idea of putting out four original articles every single day about a sport that's not doing anything. But so some days we'll still have four articles, but some days we're just going to only put out three because, you know, we have a number of different um, series and different things that we do, but I don't want to use up all of our reserve content just because baseball is not major league baseball is not playing. So I don't think that's really going to affect the, uh, the, the media podcast because there's so much that happens over the winter anyway. And uh, we have a whole bunch of authors that we've been getting on and we'll have the hall of fame discussions. And there's just so much about Yankees history and so much about baseball. We can talk a little about the labor stuff that, that I think we're going to be fine. And, and Carlos and would love to join us at city field and Carlos, we'd love to, we'd love to get out there. We can arrange it. I mean, one of our, our loyal fans out there and he knows a lot about sports so uh and he's know, here we, every Saturday, so he's great. Well, he's he's on almost every day with us, Doc. He's on he's oh, on that's awesome. every Northeast streaming sports channel. He follows Keith and, and, and Sports Scope. He's a great loyal listener to, to Northeast Streaming Sports and to us. So we you know we love having Carlos with us all the time. Um and one other thing for you guys that are listening or that will see this this uh this uh, show later, we're gonna have uh, on uh, New York Sports Heroes Wednesday, about 5 p.m. Eastern, the great Giants quarterback and CBS sports announcer Phil Sims will be joining us uh, on Wednesday. Uh, don't miss show. We'll talk to Phil about his his career from the beginning to the end and all the things he went through and and getting you know the Giants to their first championship and you know his first Super Bowl ever first championship in 20 something years and that MVP game he played, especially in the second half where he broke all kinds of records. The giants put the, uh, the, the team on, on his shoulders in the second half and they were losing the Broncos 10 to nine and they came back and destroyed the Broncos. A big part of that was Phil Sims passing and throwing the leadership on offense. And the defense, you know, during that time was one of the best in the league. 
but uh, Phil Sims had one of the, uh, one of the games to remember in Super Bowl history and became uh, one of the greatest Giants quarterbacks in history. So he'll be with us Wednesday on New York Sports Heroes. So it's a big a big guest coming up for you guys. Uh, we'll promote it more as we go along. But I wanted to to let you know, um, let you guys know that we will have Phil Sims on with us. New York Sports Heroes, 5 p.m. Eastern uh, on Mac and Jack and on the Northeast Streaming Sports. So that's the update so far, unless you guys got anything else. Okay, there you go. So I think we covered everything uh, so far. One other thing, a big, big item, guys. Northeast Streaming Sports is going to Roku. We're going to have our own channel where we'll have our sports network on there. Um, and it'll be right on your living room TV if you have Roku TV, which a lot of 90 million people have. So we're going to we're, we're transferring over there now. I just started. Uh, I, I, I kind of run Northeast Streaming Sports, me and a few other people. And uh, I'm con- trying to convert everything over uh, to Roku. So uh, we will be in 90 million uh, homes. Hopefully they tune us in and we'll be uh, doing our shows, our lineups, the whole network over there starting around January 1st. I'll let you know when that becomes uh, uh, real for sure, the date anyway. So, um, guys, thanks for helping us keep growing. Appreciate all all your support. And uh, so that's it for our promotions. So let's get to do the NFL teams stay too long with their first round, well, high round draft picks. Let's say first, second, third round. Uh, We'll throw a third round in there. When they're not playing up to their potential, and I'm going first on this one, and and I guess the 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 answer could be yes, but I'm gonna give you reasons why maybe it's no, and that, it depends on what you mean by too long. If you think about it, NFL teams have huge scouting departments, right? They have their individual scouts, they have their chief or their their head of the scouting department, and then it goes up to the GM is in charge of all you know all the labor as far as drafts the contracts to all that stuff the coaches even get involved in the drafts especially when it gets up to when you narrow down who you want for certain positions and and of course the owners somewhat are involved too right they you're going to tell them what you're doing so it depends about how you mean what your definition is too long you have nfl teams scouting high school kids Right. So they're overseas, as 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 Carlos just brought up, checking out people overseas. There is so much work, so much money, so much time consumed. And this one draft choice, they got what, eight rounds, I think it is, is the total rounds of drafts that are official drafts. I'm almost positive it's eight. Uh, it's seven eight. rounds. Seven. There you go. Maybe it used to be eight. I forget. But anyway, seven. That's always been seven. I don't know, Jack. I, I think it might have even been less at one time. I don't think it's always been seven because I think Mike Cole mentioned that. Oh, no, I mean, my years ago. I don't debate you about that. It's, it's seven, eight. Seven, seven, eight. It's, 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 a lot of, it's a lot of rounds. Okay, Jack? Oh, my God. Anyway. Um, the, the Mac, is, you're the guy who mentioned the eight rounds, not me. You made I understand it. I said I, accuracy. I so clearly said. I clearly said, Jack, that it's, I think it's eight rounds. It may not be. I clearly said that. It's seven rounds. Well, I don't think it was always seven. Well, yes, it was. Well, I don't know if that's true or not. I would have to look it up. I'm not going to do that right now. So anyway, 
We'll go with you. It's seven. It used to be more. They used to have something like twelve rounds long there ago. So I it mean, wasn't always. So it wasn't. So it wasn't always seven. So there you go. Anyway, the point is when you're when you're investing all this time into a certain group of players, you're investing a lot of money. Once you sign that player, you're making a statement that this is one of the players you think is going to make the team that you believe is going to be a, a almost an instant player on your team, right? So. Suppose he gets injured. Suppose he's he's not as bright or or I shouldn't say bright as good at studying playbooks and as good as at as as getting systems under his belt as others. Suppose he doesn't get the greatest opportunity to play. Suppose you got a another guy that's in his position that's playing really well, and suppose you put him out there and he doesn't do so well. So what's a long time? Is a long time three years? Is a long time four years? So by the time he's four four years in the league, he's what twenty five years old, Jack. If you say twenty six, I'm going to cut you in your your mic right now. But say he's twenty five. So you've invested all this time in him. You've invested all that money in him, and you still believe he might be a, a, some kind of a player on your team. Maybe not what he was supposed to be, but you think he's still going to be a, a, a player on the team. And there's always that that possibility. Like with, uh, I'll just give. Engram is an example for the Giants. There's always that possibility that you let him go and he becomes a star on another team. So you're kind of caught in between a rock and hard place, right? You're, you're kind of saying, well, I don't think he can play. Maybe it's not the coach's fault. Maybe they did develop him, right? Maybe he was put in the best position, but maybe he wasn't. Maybe he wasn't put in the best position. Maybe Maybe Daniel Jones on the team would be a great quarterback. We don't know that for sure. Maybe they just didn't have the player, the coaches around them to develop. Maybe they changed coaches way too much time. There were so many different possibilities of why this player did not develop into the player you thought he would be. So if you don't have him signed to a huge contract, which rookie contracts are not as big as they used to be, what does it matter if you keep him around for four or five years as opposed to three or six years as opposed to four? I don't know, Jack. I, I believe that this is just a question per player, per team, per situation. I mean, are we going to throw the towel in right now on the Jacksonville Jaguars first round draft pick if he doesn't make it in two or three years? I don't think so. Even your quarterback over in the New York Jets. Wilson looks like he got hurt again. He may not play next week. Should we throw the towel in on him? He gets hurt too much? I don't know. So do they, do they, do teams stay in there too long? I think that's a matter of situation and player and coaching and developing. And maybe the player just ain't meant for the NFL. Those are so many questions. So I think it would behoove somebody to hold on to somebody that you thought would be great then get rid of them and have them become great under the team or get somebody that might even be worse. So that's my thoughts. What do you think, Doc? Yeah, this one I don't have a whole lot of uh, experience with because I'm not a big NFL guy. But but I think what you're saying makes sense. It, it, it's going to definitely be player-specific. If you have a kid, especially like let's, let's look at Zach Wilson, right? He keeps getting hurt this year. Well, you if, if the injuries aren't things that are going to negatively impact his ability to come back from the injuries and, and play at a high level, you have to stick with him because he's your number one guy, right? And you're not going to give up on him. 
Uh, but if certain players are proving that they can't do the job over a couple of years, I think you got, you have to then move on. Like the Jets did move on from Sam Darnold. It didn't look like he was going to be the answer. So they, they moved on from him. But I don't really have a whole lot of experience looking across the league and saying, you know, this percentage of guys get stuck with for this many years and it seems to be a problem or it seems to be a good thing. So. Now let's stay on Zach Wilson for a little while because he turned out to be a great example. I mean, quarterbacks are a bit different because you look to develop them over time and they don't have to perform at, at a high level as quickly as other position players who you expect immediate results from. But let's take the case of Zach Wilson. Let's say the Jets don't win another game this year. That means in all probability, Zach Wilson either would have been injured or would have been performing poorly. And let's say the Jets wind up with the number one overall in the pick, uh, overall pick in the draft. And let's say there's a great college quarterback there waiting where the Jets could select them in, in this upcoming draft. Should the Jets not select him because they invested all this in Zach Wilson? because he was the number two overall pick in the draft the year before, and he would have turned out to be a wasted draft pick if you draft another quarterback next year. Well, the mentality of the NFL would be not to draft a quarterback this year because you invested all this in Zach Wilson as the number two overall pick, and that's my complaint. I think NFL teams tend to stay with a high draft choice too long. It's like, you know, when it's like they want to protect their original investment. But by protecting your original investment, you're putting bad, mo bad money after bad money in there again. And it's just going to get worse for you. It's like a gambler not knowing when to cut his losses. So he gambles more, trying to get his money back. And he just, you know, it's a colossal disaster. I'm not saying that's the case with Zach Wilson, and I'm not saying that's what the Jets should do because the jury's still out on Zach Wilson. But what I am saying, if the Jets, for example, have a quarterback in the draft who they absolutely love, who they think is going to be great, are they going to bypass him because they already invested in Zach Wilson? They probably would bypass him. And that's what teams do. They're number one, number two draft choices. They allow to flounder for two, three years unsuccessfully because the GMs feel they're going to look bad by drafting a guy who's a flop. So the head coach feels he has to stay with the guy longer to accommodate the GM who might have some say over the head coach's job. So, yes, I think around the NFL – they tend to stay with a guy too long. You could argue it's that way with every sport. If a guy's a so-called bonus baby in baseball and they paid millions and millions for his rights, you know, some foreign player, for example, and let's say he's just not good at all, they're going to keep milking him out, milking him out, you know, till it becomes apparent there's no possibility, no realistic possibility is going to be good. So I tend to think, you know, in the NFL, they, they stay with these high draft choices just a bit too long. You know, you know what the biggest problem is? Great point you're making, Jack. It really is. Because there is a lot to be said about 
you know, it's their name on it too, right? They drafted this guy. It's their name. They made the investment. I get that. But normally the top draft picks go to bad teams. You know, they go, they don't go to good teams for the most price. They 95% go to bad teams and on bad teams, there's bad coaching. So uh, I'll give you a great example, right? Archie man, great quarter, quarter, quarterback, college quarterback ends up on the saints. Saints had a bad team. And I mean, they stuck with Archie Manning. I mean, Archie Manning had, had the skills to be a great quarterback, but if that kind of mentality was there, Archie Manning would have been gone probably by year three, year four. So I don't think that's, you know, written in stone. The main reason for teams drafting these high players that are probably good. I mean, to make the NFL, first of all, you got to be good. I mean, the, Hands down, I don't care what anybody says. You're talented. You're good. You're like 3% of all college college players in the country. You're drafted. You're a pretty good football player. But normally they go to bad teams. And a lot of times that coach is, is up to on the hot seat too, and that GM is on the hot seat too. So you go to a bad situation. You know, Zach Wilson is a perfect example of that. He's coming in a rebuilding year. If he was on another team that was good, Maybe he'd be playing okay this year. Maybe he wouldn't be hurt. We don't know. I made the example of Daniel Jones. We don't know if he would be great. Great example. Go ahead. Let me throw this by you guys. Because the Giants invested highly in Daniel Jones, number six pick overall. He'd been with them two years already. Hadn't really fulfilled his potential. And last year's draft, Justin Fields and Mac Jones were available for the Giants to draft. The Giants didn't have to trade with the Bears. They could have drafted Justin Fields or they could have gotten Mac Jones. But because they had invested in Mac Jones as, uh, not Mac Jones, wait, wait, uh, Daniel Jones. Okay, I got the Jones guys mixed up. Daniel Jones as, you know, number six overall pick. They felt an obligation to stick with him where... They could have drafted, you know, one of the other two quarterbacks. That's what I mean by sticking a little too long. But it, are they sticking too long is the question. Are they? Are they? Yeah, well, it's debatable. It's debatable, but it, it looks like they very well might have. I don't know if Justin Fields is going to be that much better than, than Daniel Jones. He it's, the, it's all, deba- it's all right. debatable. But my point is they didn't even consider taking a quarterback. Would because you, well, they let me had, let me ask you, would you? I mean, are you going to waste that pick on a quarterback when you could get a player that's dynamic in another position? You know, it depends on how that player's developed. A quarterback's a little different. Maybe that's not the best example because you want them to develop a little more, you know, over yeah, time. I mean, to me, I mean, it's to me, the biggest problem with that is that the high-round draft picks, especially first first through the sixth or eighth, are normally going to bad teams and bad situations. You know, not too many not too many Mac Jones are coming out that end up with the Patriots in the first round. That don't happen that much. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, Mac Jones looks good because he's on a good team. If he was with the Jets, Mac Jones would look, like, would look terrible right now. If he was with the Giants right now, if they did get rid of, rid of Daniel Jones, Mac Jones would look terrible right now. That's that's just fact. So I, I I listen. It's hard, and I understand what you're saying too, Jack. Sometimes maybe you should cut ties after a while. Maybe you should. Maybe Sam Darnold getting rid of Sam Darnold is the right thing to do. Look at him with the Panthers. Panthers are a better team. He's not playing that well. In fact, he's he's out. 
he's not even starting anymore. So there are situations they definitely uh, take too long. So our last debate, folks, is media and their influences on personnel changes. Um, who went first? You did, right? This is, uh, did I? I went first, I think. Yeah, because we. What does it matter? What order? None of the listeners are paying attention to your batting order. I I mean, you would change your batting order every day if you were managing a team. Listen, Jack. When you have the board in front of you, then you can make the decisions and and figure it out. Why? Right now, I'll I'll start it. No, you won't, Jack. I'm oh, going to make it clear. Okay. Doc is going first because he's. <laughs> oh, okay. Doc will be the table setter. Yes, I will. I'll be Willie Randolph. Well, we'll I'll lead this thing off. Beautiful. So I, I think it's a two part, or, or there's there's two questions there. Does the media play a role in how teams make decisions, and should the media play a role in how teams make decisions? And and I <clears throat> I think it really depends on the team and on the situation. Uh, primarily, but in a general sense, does the media make it make an impact? Yes, I do believe they do. Should they? If it's a well-run team that has a strong and a good plan, I, I don't think they should. Um, you know, a lot of the media and a lot of the fan base is what have you done for me lately? Uh, which of course fans just want to win, of course, and, and I think we're all guilty of that as, as fans. We want our teams to win, but if you have a smart plan. Sometimes it takes years for that great plan to to take effect. I, I you know you're having Phil Sims come on and uh, later this week on on some, on one of your shows, and you know I think early on in his career he struggled, and there was years where he struggled until he finally became a Super Bowl quarterback. And in that time, people were saying, "Get rid of him, get rid of him." But the Mets, uh, the Mets, the Giants felt that they had a good quarterback there, and he proved them right because they stuck with him. So I think a team that has a great plan shouldn't let the media determine what they do. And if you have a great organization that's being run efficiently and run well, you have to knock out that noise. You have to block that out and just say that's noise because they're going to be screaming and yelling no matter what we do. Um, Always, every time we lose, it's always easy to be a Monday morning quarterback and say you did it wrong. I think we have a good long-term plan and I think it's going to work. And and to go back to real quickly, what I said at the beginning of the show, I think that's what the Yankees are doing. I think the Yankees are facing the negative uh, comments about not signing players and making big trades. And they've been doing that for a lot of years. Cause I think they've realized that you don't have to have a $300 million payroll to just get into the playoffs and you can do it with a pretty good team. And they're facing a lot of people, myself being included, who are disappointed in them. But I think they're saying we have a better business plan and we're going to follow this business plan. We're going to make more money because we're not going to be investing in giant players, but we're still going to be competitive. We're still going to have world championships because once you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. What do you think, Jack? I think the media plays a major role in influencing teams' decision because there's the fatigue factor. I mean, of organizations just don't want to be bothered with things. I mean, you know, they get to a point in life they don't want to battle back. And every day when you hear the media criticizing, 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 it becomes a part of your life. And you kind of want it to stop. You look for a reason for it to stop. It could be a simple thing like a player could be under the microscope. They could say he's terrible like John Carlos Stanton for a while. And all of a sudden you have a couple of big games and you're relieved that you're shutting everyone up in the media for the time being. And you want to keep it going. John Carlos Stanton has it easy now because he really performed big time. 
And no one is saying at the moment what a lousy contract seven years to go. Even though it's a bit too long, he's performing. So Yankee fans are happy with him. The media can't be too critical right now. Ownership doesn't want to hear about it. It's, it's, a, it's a major fatigue factor when the media, you know, gets on you. Listen, you're never going to satisfy the media completely. The Yankee situation Doc mentions, no matter what they do, if they don't sign guys, they're going to get criticized. If they sign Corey Seager to their same 10-year contract the Rangers did, it would shut the media up for the time being. And then later on, they would point what a terrible contract it was. And it comes back to you. Go ahead, Doc. And you just made me think of a point that I didn't mention. Yeah, a team like the Yankees is darned if they do and darned if they don't, right? If they sign all the big players and then they go out and win the World Series, the immediate response will be the Yankees bought another world championship, right? Yeah. So, so if they do it that way, they get criticized. If they don't get the big players, they get criticized. If I were the Yankees, I wouldn't care. I would say, yes, I bought the world championship and I'm going to do it every single year because we're the Yankees. That's that's how I would run the team. But I don't run the team. Remember the way the Yankees used to get criticized on the George Steinbrenner? Oh, they bought championships. That's right. And now they're being criticized if they're not spending filthy money on free agents. Exactly. If they're doing things smartly from a business perspective. But I think in all sports, the media plays a big role in getting coaches fired, getting GMs fired. And what about the New York Giants? They've been losing this year. I think ownership likes Dave Gittleman, the GM, but everyone is calling for change, okay? Even though if you look at the hard evidence, he has drafted well on balance. He's made good deals on balance, Yet the Giants are losing, so there has to be a fall guy, okay? And it, it, the media does have an effect because we're human and we don't want to hear complaints. You could be a boss of any organization, but if you hear complaints about one of your workers, even though it might be a, a good worker and the complaints might not be fair, it finally gets to you. You want it to stop. And the way owners of sports teams get it to stop they fire someone. Someone has to be the fall guy. You know, in the case of the Yankees, they let go of some coaches. Were they really bad coaches? Were they really at fault? But sometimes, you know, changes have to be made. And I think it's because of media pressure those changes are made. You know, the only the only thing I can say to that, and of course media has a, a major play on, you know, that's how we read our news. That's what we watch. And, and, and even if – because we really don't know what's going on behind the scenes – uh, and sometimes they don't either. They sometimes they just make stories up and, and it catches hold. That, that's happened uh, many times. But, you know, I, I went through and, you know, we were talking about Phil Sims being on the Giants when I first became a fan about 1967. I can remember anyway. And the Giants never had a winning season uh, till 1981. I think it was when they ended up getting a wild card. Uh, a wild card uh, under Ray Perkins. They went and played a wild card, and we would never seen the championship until it happened in 86. And in 1976 itself, there was the fumble, the miracle in the Meadowlands, where even though the Giants had a bad record and weren't going anywhere, they called a play that caused a fumble and lose the game on the last play of the game. And, you know, what happens is that bad teams, I think, in any sport get a rap. And that's 
a lot to do with the media too, right? They get either, you know, you, you heard about the Brooklyn Dodgers, the, you know, the Brooklyn bums and wait till next year. And this is written year after year after year, the Red Sox. I mean, they, they actually felt comfortable being next year. I remember their, their attitude was, you know, and then when they won the world series, they didn't know how to act. They lost their identity that the media gave them. It was, it was funny to a point. I think the Mets, Fans have that identity to a point too. Even though they did win a few World Series, they still got that. You know that. You know we're gonna have a. I've hear, heard them. Well, we stink always, and it's just ten games in, man. So I mean, the media does it, it represents the team to us. So of course they have a big influence on what what's going on because we don't know. We look at it. We say why, and and there's an answer right there. Well. You know, the GM and the coach isn't getting along. The rumors are this. Sources say that. We don't know. We don't even know if they're telling the truth. But if somebody puts out a bad product year after year, or they stay stagnant, let's say stagnant, right? If they're not moving anywhere, if they're like at 9-7 and seven in football every year, or they're like the Yankees getting to the playoffs every year, and that's what they are, then why even bother watching them anymore? Because we already know what they are. So we love the team. That's great. But we know at the end of the year, the interest is they're going to be a, a wild card playoff team. We want as fans for them to go beyond that. That's when the excitement happens. That's when the fanship, the fandom comes out. You can sit down there and break all the players and plays down you want and tell us, oh, we're going to be a contender every year or we're going to be seven and nine or nine and seven every year. Well, good for you. We don't want nine and seven. We don't want a bad team first. And we don't want a team that's stagnant. We want a team that's going up. That's when the fandom hits. That's when the craziness hits. That's when your fandom comes out. You can brag. You can feel good about being a fan. But if them other two cases continue, we get bored. We get we get we get tired of it. So great the Yankees made great business decisions. Good for them. They're gonna be a good tender. Yay. Good for them. Are they going to work? No one is complaining, Mac, and you don't have any media pressure. You become comfortable in staying with your plan. But teams alter from their plan. They make changes because of the constant criticism I it has an effect. And it's I part agree. of the ownership's fault. Like, let's say a coach's status is uncertain. They could easily get the media together and say, guys, let me make something clear. This is my coach. This is my manager. If you're going to have any criticism, criticize me. They're not going anywhere. They're oh, my coach. True. This isn't nope. your normal vote of confidence. They're I really still, like the job this they're guy still does. Good. They're not going to stop criticizing the coach because you say that, Jack. They're still going to criticize the coach in this decision. They can, but they're not going to be calling for change the I'll same I'll give way. you a perfect example, Jack. The one example that I think even Doc could understand, Jason Garrett is head coach of the Cowboys. They always had a way. They were always in there. They always were at first, second place, always. For 10 years, they were there. What ends up happening in the end, and he had the full support of the owner. They got criticized. They got complained. And finally, eventually, but it was a long time. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't three years. But what do we do now? We make fun of the Dallas Cowboys. When was the last time they won a Super Bowl? So, yeah, the media does have influence. In a lot of cases, well, maybe over half, it's justified. Sometimes it's not. But I think when fandom comes out is when the team is progressing, going for that final goal, and that's when the fans go crazy. And that's what fans want. 
Fans don't want to be, yeah, okay, okay, all right. Yeah, you're bad, or yeah, you're okay. They want to see you. That's just the way it is. So, folks, we're coming to the end of the show. I want to thank Doc for joining us, as he does every week. A lot of knowledge over on that side of the microphone. And me and Jack, we have a lot of fun having him on. And a lot of fun being on all the time. So don't forget, tomorrow, the big NFL, the big football show covering the NFL. Join us. Thanks for joining us today. A lot of comments, a lot of views. Thank you, folks. Have a great, great Saturday night.